Welcome to Heating Up, a podcast about climate change, our dangerous future, and what you can do about it. I'm Corinne. I'm Derek. And this is our show. Yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah, good times. Episode 40, Corinne. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty Big good. time. Huge. Yeah. Tremendous. <laughs> we're we're, we're quickly getting to the point where we're going to have more shows than listeners. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not great. Well, it tells we are... We're persevering. With a thinking We're persistence. man's disaster preparedness podcast. Or something. Definitely not that. <laughs> or at least our family's yeah, podcast. We're, we're our family's best mm-hmm. favorite podcast. For no, sure. we're not. No, not even. Not even my favorite podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even listen to the show. I Well, I'm here when it happens. What other listening do I need to do? <laughs> All the great editing that I do. <sighs> no. All right. How are you, Corinne? pretty good has been the last couple of weeks for you um not too exciting i'm doing the running thing going very poorly and uh that's about it just now a lot you of only run around a single solitary block again and again and again because mm-hmm. you fear running on the river or other streets is okay that correct? running on the river is dangerous thank you very much okay, okay that is a fact uh just ask any runner. You go in a group if you're running on the river. I typically run in my neighborhood and not in one block over several blocks. <laughs> I used to run around a semi- yeah, uh, McKinley semi- Park. Okay. Well, now everybody knows where I live. Great. Uh, <laughs> you live to- somewhere in Sacramento <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> so I Narrowed it down. I used to run around McKinley Park, but it sounds terrible and I'm obviously... The homeless encampment underneath the essentially the freeway that I have to walk under to get to them is so heavy right now. I can't walk under it to get to McKinley Park. Yeah, I wonder when we're going to reach the critical mass and start actually discussing the fact that there are you know shanty towns in every major city everywhere. Uh, like I feel like it's definitely gotten worse over the last ten years, and it's now like straight up Hoovervilles everywhere. Yeah, it's um, it's heartbreaking. It's unsafe. It's unclean, and it would be really nice if we could help the homeless instead of just saying how horrible it is to have them near us. For sure. Um, so that's really a rough road to go down. But anyway, I have not been walking to McKinley Park as it is. It's a little bit. Um, it's a little difficult. I mean, I'd really be like walk trudging through people. You can drive home. a car. To yep, drive any a number car to the park to go on a run. Yeah, I could. Y- you... Yes, in theory. But I really, by the time I get home, get changed, I kind of just want to get on my run and get it done before the sun goes down. All right, the sun goes down at like five fifteen, so I got to get going. There's a great bike trail right by your work. Just saying. Peter on. Anyways, done with your running stories. Great. What are your stories? I got nothing. I'm going straight to the news, Corinne. We got a busy show today. Packed show. All right, let's We've hear got it. lots of news. Then we're going to do an actual prepping segment for the first time yes, in a while. Yes, that's true. Very while. exciting. And then we're going to record our very first uh, heating up video. Very scary. Yeah. So lots to do today. No more time for your idle chit chat about how you can't run. Time to get going. Well, I'm just going to bring up random anecdotes as we go because <laughs> I have... That's how I have to do it. <laughs> All right. Good time. So, you ready? Ready. All right. This podcast is, of course, kind of founded on the premise that the future is not getting any brighter. But that's... Uh, Great start. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pessimistic <laughs> outlook for sure. But it's not that one that we're alone having. Uh, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientist, which is the group of folks that created the Doomsday Clock, that like... Uh, not real clock that gets closer to zero, the closer they perceive from humanity getting closer to global catastrophe. 
Okay. Like it started back in I think the late or the early sixties or seven or fifties, based on like the threat of nuclear apocalypse. Okay. And that's still a big deal. Like still one of the big. Uh, yeah, Donald big... Trump's still president. So. Yeah. So over the years, they update how close we are to midnight, meaning how close we are to the apocalypse, right? Correct. And it's is it eleven fifty nine? Oh, it's. <laughs> we'll get right to that. So, so this group has edged us closer than we've ever been to global apocalypse. We are now one hundred seconds to midnight. Oh, right. No, I've heard the seconds. Right. Yeah, that's uh, you know, less than two minutes. So they cited the threats of a the continued risk of nuclear apocalypse and b catastrophic climate change, uh, coupled with c the disinformation warfare that undermines public trust as well as the fact that world leaders have allowed international political infrastructures to kind of, like, just erode. So they say all these four factors mean we're closer to to getting global apocalypse than we are getting microwave popcorn. Great. Yeah, good times. Way to start it out there. Um, I'm going to read you their statement about why they put it this way, and then we're going to move on to happier news. Or not even. Is there happier news? This is all. Let me eat a Girl Scout cookie. I don't even really want it. It's all tragedy all the way down. So their statement was, quote, the situation, two major threats to human civilization, amplified by sophisticated technology-propelled propaganda, would be serious enough if leaders around the world were focused on managing the danger and reducing the risk of catastrophe. Instead, over the last two years, we have seen influential leaders denigrate and discard the most effective methods for addressing complex threats, international agreements with strong verification regimes, in favor of their own narrow interest and domestic political gain. By undermining cooperative, science, and law-based approaches to managing the most urgent threats to humanity, these leaders have helped us create a situation that will, if unaddressed, lead to catastrophe. I feel like that whole thing had kind of a... <clears throat> yeah, I don't think it was... It was not thinly veiled. <laughs> no. Anyways, so that's getting us off to a good start, right, Corinne? 100 seconds to apocalypse. There we go. Good times. Party like it's 1999. Uh, that's what? what Donald Trump's doing. Is it? Yeah, just burn it all down. Make more money. Is that what we did we in 1999? No, it's a... Oh, forget it. All right. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but enough about general, are we all going to die? Let's get into Specifics? some specific ca- catastrophes, Great. right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to start in Florida. Well, our old friend. Yeah, a good old friend. Florida had some frigid conditions this last week, so I don't know if you saw it, but there was like a polar snap or ice wave or whatever they want to call it heading in the coast of florida bottom line is it some parts of florida last week were colder than Juneau, alaska or denver colorado how's that happen because it was warm in alaska and cold in florida and it's just uh temperature man it's wind blows all over the place (laughs) anyways weather station in in south florida observed wind chills in the 20s it was so cold that apparently uh iguanas which are not native to florida but are all over the place, had trouble maintaining their core body temperatures. And the National Weather Service office in Miami issued an unofficial falling iguana alert. Falling iguanas? On Tuesday night to warn residents of the potential threat of frozen iguanas that apparently just fall out of the trees. (laughs) So the iguana essentially like freezes, shuts down all of its body functions, and then like falls out of the tree, tree like the world's grossest rock. This is the most Florida story to have ever. And so there are like pictures. No, it's not. It gets better. So these iguanas apparently like go into like stasis, and then when it warms up, they kind of revive. So like they're laying on the ground frozen. They look dead as a doornail. But as soon as the sunlight hits them and they start warming up a bit, they get up and go about their merry ways. It is crazy. But apparently, not everyone knew that the iguanas would generally be okay because (laughs) (laughs) of our great Florida man story. 
a Florida man living in Key Biscayne decided to collect as many frozen iguanas as he found, apparently for some cheap protein. Because you can eat iguanas, oh. and like apparently in some countries, it's like a major source of protein. Okay. So he was like, hey, free They're meat. They're already dead. Right? Roadkill Don't style. even have to catch them. All right. Good time. So he filled <laughs> his car up with frozen, he <laughs> thought, dead. car. Yeah. Turned on the heat. Yeah. So the car heated up, <laughs> as it wanted to do. <laughs> and so he ended up with a bunch of pissed, half-frozen iguanas uh, biting, and, biting him and running all over his car, forcing him to wreck the car. So, wow. Yeah. That's honestly worse than Tommy Boy when they wake up with the, the, deer. the deer in the car. That is more. <laughs> oh, Florida. So, yeah, Florida. A little bit lighter, but yeah, no. Yes, thank you. Uh, it's an interesting story with the iguanas because it did kill a decent number of them. And also, whenever they do have these periodic freezes, there's always the question of like the boa constrictors, which are also an invasive species which have just decimated the Everglades, but they can't handle the cold as well, so a lot of them die. Is it maybe kind of a good thing that the these invasive species are sort of falling falling off here? I mean, I don't mean to say like, hooray, the iguanas and the bow constrictors are dying, but they're well, bad I'm, for the Yeah, a lot of naturalists right? are saying like, hooray, uh, especially for <laughs> okay. the boa constrictors. And it's kind of one of these things where it's like, yeah, like not a lot, of, they have no natural predators because they mm-hmm. n- didn't evolve there. They kind of are taken over, and so anything that knocks them back a peg or two is probably good. Is it only a disaster? You're welcome from Donald Trump. I guess. All right, so that was Florida. We're going to go to Australia. Uh, Top time. These are just the same people. Feel like Florida and Australia are already fighting for worst climate disasters. I'm sure they'll get into the fight, but right now these are the two. Well, this one, so apparently the fires and stuff are still going in Australia. Don't get me wrong. Although they recently did have some rain that helped, and it's weather but is caused kind of some like flooding and stuff. Yeah, and... mudslides because the the recently deforested land. But beyond that, there's another problem in Australia. Uh, apparently, the conditions that helped fuel the fires, the prolonged heat combined with the recent rains have created the perfect conditions for a massive uptick in the number of deadly funnel-web spiders lurking about. What is a funnel-web spider? It's apparently a fairly large spider that's poisonous or venomous, or I don't know. Poisonous. I think spiders are poisonous, snakes are venomous. What is the difference? Kills you dead either way, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Don't mess with a funnel-web spider, and apparently they're popping up everywhere. Wow. I would say they're like a plague of locusts, but that's actually our next story. Oh, God. Uh, unusually heavy rain is being cited as a factor in one of the world's or one of the worst outbreaks of desert locusts in decades across part, large parts of East Africa. Interesting. They're posing what officials are saying is an unprecedented threat to crops in the developing nations across the Eastern Africa. The rare outbreak is destroying crops and pastures across Ethiopia and neighboring areas of Somalia and parts of Sudan, Eteria, and northern Kenya as it risks spreading further due to the continuation of favorable conditions for locust breeding. It's been 25 years since the people of Kenya and Ethiopia have seen swarms of this magnitude, and 70 years since Kenya last encountered such an invasion of locusts. <clears throat> All right, and we have one more update this year. Update. Yeah, uh, well, unfortunate update to oh. the story of Puerto Rico. So again, keeping pace with all of these places, Florida and Australia, Puerto Rico, can't stop, won't stop with the mm-hmm. terrible disasters. Mm-hmm. Um, another magnitude 5.0 earthquake hit the southern Puerto Rico on Saturday at a shallow depth, raising concerns about unstable infrastructure in a region that has hit, been hit by quakes every day for nearly a month. Oh my God. Like, how can you even live like that? Like, it's just in, kind of insane. I mean, you feel so bad for the people in Puerto Rico because, I mean, literally the ground underneath their feet is unstable. Um, is it 
I think I saw, unless I was dreaming this, that they started bringing a guillotine to, like, the... Uh... Well, we'll get to some oh, of the protests that okay. are happening. Uh, but the newest quake happened just a day after hundreds of people on the island's southern region were evacuated from earthquake shelters because those shelters oh were goodness. flooding due to heavy rains that hit the territory. Oh. So imagine you had to be evacuated because of the earthquakes. And so you're living in an emergency shelter. And then that shelter has to be evacuated because it flooded. And more than 350 people on Friday had to be moved back into a school that had served as their initial shelter when the ground first began shaking after the the latest earthquake. So it was like they had a shelter, they got moved out, and then they had to move back to a shelter. Other people were in a shelter that had to move to another shelter because of the the floods. It's just disaster on disaster. Like, it's terrible. Yes, it is very bad. Meanwhile, as you kind of mentioned... Hundreds of people have started protesting in Puerto Rico uh, in a demonstration reminiscent of the recent ones that ousted their former governor. Uh, The anger this time is growing over what was discovered to be a warehouse full of emergency aid that had sat unused in a warehouse. So horrible. Yeah, so there was this giant warehouse full of aid that had been sitting there since Hurricane Maria. So it wasn't like recent aid that got there that just hadn't been distributed. It It had been there for like a year or more. Um, Let's see. Last week, I mean, it would have been better off if someone just threw them in the street somewhere, or people could have gotten to them. Yeah, kind of. So, an online blogger posted a live feed of the warehouse last week in southern coastal city of Ponce. uh, I think that's it, P-O-N-C-E, filled with water, cots, baby food, and other supplies uh, dating from Hurricane Maria. Maria, a group of people broke into the warehouse and began distributing those (laughs) supplies. So they're like, wait, getting something done. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The governor fired the director of Puerto Rico's emergency management agency shortly after the incident, as well as the secretaries of the Department of Housing and Family, and she blamed them in part for not distributing the aid. Uh, The newest protest, which has been organized by Puerto Rican singer Rene Perez of Cali 13 fame, uh, has unleashed uh, a debate about whether Puerto Rico should try to oust its current governor, Juan de Vasquez, ahead of the elections, which are scheduled in November. Hmm. Uh, So yeah, you might have seen pictures of people just like, marching down the streets i think somebody yeah had a, like a prop guillotine or whatever i felt very but, proud of them for that yeah uh the good people organizing with mutual aid disaster relief do continue to have ongoing aid efforts in puerto rico so they've been there since maria and mm-hmm. they you know they've just had more and more work unfortunately to keep doing so if you are looking to donate to a worthy cause i would say mutual aid disaster relief going on in puerto rico is as good as any right now yeah because uh, yeah the unfortunate people in puerto rico are just dealing with too much. All right. We've got a few lighter disasters. Please. Um, let's see here. The southern and eastern coast of Spain was battered by Storm Gloria's harsh impacts last Sunday uh, through Wednesday last week. 13 people were killed due to the impacts from the storm. Uh, several others are reported missing. People in parts of Atlantic Canada were stuck in their homes after being hit with a record-smashing blizzard that dumped heavy snow in the region, leading to the government to order the military to help. Days after the storm, a state of emergency remained in effect in St. John's, Newfoundland, It's their first state of emergency declaration in almost 36 years. The storm left grocery stores shut for days, and St. John's officials said that Monday that people could only fuel up at the gas stations in emergencies. And then, of course, as we speak right now, people are preparing for an onslaught of storms that have been hitting the Pacific Northwest. So more storms are coming uh, very soon, which is heightening the danger of flooding and landslides because essentially it's just the water isn't given enough time to clear out and the ground is fully saturated, so anything that's coming new is just flowing into there. already high running creeks and rivers and so it's just increasing the likelihood that there'll be more floods or landslides in the pacific northwest 
Um, and while none of those last three stories were like particularly extreme, especially in comparison to some of the bigger disasters going on, mm-hmm. I did want to highlight them because like these are the exact examples of things that are of ways in which climate change is already disrupting life for millions of people. Yeah. Like even in the first world, like we tend to focus so much, even you know, our show, we talk about the big disasters around the world, but it's these little ones. That it's hard to even point to and say, oh, that's climate change. Mm-hmm. It's just like the Pacific Northwest. It's just a lot of storms in a row. And could it have anything could have happened normally, but the likelihood of those storms happening or the more severe severity of them happening right. is always going to be increased. It's loading the dice is what climate change is doing. So it makes it way more likely that you're going to get that kind of rolling storm after storm after storm causing a flood. Yeah. And can you really say, oh, climate change, obviously. Or like the 13 people that died in Spain. You can't really necessarily say, oh, they died because of climate change. But the reality is climate change made those deaths way more likely. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to point that out because it doesn't have to be giant disasters uh, when we talk about this stuff. Even these little ones deal with it. And then I have uh, one last story, Corinne. All right. I know that you're super excited. Yeah, I'm feeling great. Uh, this one might be <laughs> kind of the worst. Well, not the okay. worst, but it's not great. <laughs> I thought your smile was because it was funny, but it's because it's horrible. No, this is, yeah, this is another kind of tragedy that's still ongoing, I guess. Uh, We've talked before on this podcast about the targeted murder of environmental activists around the globe. Yeah. In 2019, over 164 were killed and over a thousand have been killed in the last 10 years. Uh, And we are sad to report that 2020 appears to be following that same path. On January 13th, Homero Gomez Gonzalez a uh, Mexican activist who's best known for running a butterfly sanctuary. Oh, who could hate on the butterfly sanctuary? Well, illegal loggers, that's who. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, Homero Gon- Gomez Gonzalez was reported missing and has yet to be found, and his friends and family suspect his disappearance uh, may be linked to the illegal logging around the UNESCO World Heritage Site that he works at. He is best known as the manager of the butterfly ranch uh, in the town of El Rosario, Mexico. Uh, securing the sanctuary and maintaining it for the survival of the species has meant a decades-long battle with illegal logging in the area, however, which apparently is powerful and politically connected. There are a couple of different uh, reports coming out. It's hard to find out uh, for me. I'm not a journalist of any kind, but it's hard for me to tell exactly what's the latest story Mm -hmm. Um, on the update. Some people are saying that they really believe that these illegal practices are involved and that it's, you know, loggers who might have kidnapped him. Others are saying he might just be an unfortunate victim. Like Mexico just released a thing that they have over 60,000 kind of missing people in the mm-hmm. country mm-hmm. due to, you know, the crime syndicates and everything it's else that's going on. right now. Sure. So he might be simply one more of those or he might be a victim of, of the... specifically of this sort of thing. But it's the same idea. There was also a report, although I haven't seen it everywhere, that his family has received a ransom call demanding money for a safe return. Which, again, could either be a could hoax, be anything. could be real. Sure. Um, but there are many people that fear he's been killed already and that he may never be found, like many of those already disappeared in Mexico. So uh-huh. it's a very sad story. Um, and kind of just another example, like, you highlight this as, you know, as, you know, privileged kind of white environmentalists here and, you know, California. People just tease us about being tree huggers. Sure. And it's easy. You hear oftentimes kind of in discussions about these global problems, like kind of uh, frustration with, you know, people on the ground in many parts of the world. Like, how come they can't stop the destruction there or whatever? Mm -hmm. And it's like, because they are straight up murdered in, you know, for fighting back there. Like here, we can protest on the streets. We can write our congressmen. We can do any number of things that we think might make a difference. But like, if you're even remotely affected in a lot of places, like they'll just straight up murder you. Like Shell has a private army in Nigeria that's killed people. Like, <laughs> yeah, like we For tend real? To, yeah, yeah. Ken Saro Wiro is uh, 
a very famous and activist in the Niger Delta who was like executed. But, uh, but like paid for by Shell confirmed? Yeah. I don't I mean, understand. They hire mercenaries, wow. essentially, uh, which is what? A private army, right? And nobody can... Okay. That's just wild. Yeah. yeah it's I mean, cr- Shell is horrible before this. I didn't need to know that, but that's... I mean, and they're not just corporations. Like there was another gas company that... Uh, was involved in uh, the murder of a Bolivian activist. Like the the investigation found out that essentially, like the local CEO, not the CEO of the full company, but like the local kind of ordered the hit on her. Like, well, I mean, that's really really disturbing. But it makes me think that if they're trying to kill these people, get rid of them, they were doing something right. Sure, but it's also very chilling to yes. anyone who you know, because here. Like you said, it's easy for you to be, it's easy when there's no skin in the game. Yeah. Uh, but these people, like Mr. Gomez Gonzalez, you know, he's just trying to save the butterflies, like the giant monarch butterfly, like forest that they, you know, migrate to or whatever, and was killed. Yeah. Possibly, hopefully not. Hopefully he's returned safely, but it's an ongoing story. So yeah. not a good note to end on. I mean, we could talk about the latest report on the Amazon, but I feel like we kind of already know what that says. <sighs> Everything's going super great, right? Everything's going super great. It's definitely not uh, about to reach a tipping point and turn into Savannah land. Let's not. Okay. Let's yeah. not. You know, speaking of monarch butterflies, I was a monarch butterfly for Halloween when I was five. It okay. It was very cute. All right. That's kind of a jarring change of topic, but we're good. I was trying to lighten it up. Yeah. All right. But well, it wasn't just a butterfly. It was the monarch butterfly. They are adorable. All right, Corinne. That is the terrible news. Whew. It's yeah, a doozy. It pretty bad. Yeah, it's a doozy this week. <laughs> Yeah, yes. Uh, it was a rough week. It was a rough week. I got to get back into doing like news quiz or something. Yeah. I felt, I didn't like doing that because I felt like we were making light of it in I some know, ways. But in some ways to get through it, you have to have some lightness yeah. in there. You know, the that like office quote was like, but it had been a rough patch this last week. This whole year, actually. Yeah. That's that's what it feels like. The last decade. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> last Ugh. two decades have been real rough. But we got good news, Corinne. We do. We have an actual prepper segment. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're gonna do some preparedness stuff. Down so again, to the, the other half of this podcast, we do disaster news about climate change that maybe you didn't hear about, and we also try and get you prepared, reasonably prepared for climate change, or at least a little bit prepared. <laughs> that's the idea. So today we're gonna talk about a different way of preserving food. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a bit in the past about getting your food stores ready, and again for newer listeners. The idea is that you want to have about two full weeks worth of meals that you can make in an emergency setting in your home. Yes. So we're talking about food that- 2,000 calories per day per person. Yeah, something like that. Food that you can make with or without electricity, food that you can make, you know, at any given time that doesn't need the refrigerator necessarily, that doesn't necessarily need all these things that you have ready to go. Yeah. So when we've talked about it in the past, we talked about freeze-dried food as kind of an easy emergency food. We've talked about canned goods, shelf-stable stuff. But there are other ways to start kind of increasing your pantry, mm-hmm. start getting food that's going to last longer. And an ancient method of doing so that works really well even to this day is dehydrating food. Woohoo! And so it's fun. Talk, it is fun. You can make a ton of different food this way. So we're going to talk a little bit about the benefits of dehydration and then some of the things that you can dehydrate. Okay. So, Corinne, have you ever dehydrated food before? I have never dehydrated food. Not once. I have not. I know that I've, I I hope my dad smoked some bacon once. So I guess that's, <laughs> smoking is very similar. It's a form of dehydration. Okay. But 
Uh, that's about the closest I ever so got. So smoking is essentially you're removing the moisture via the smoke. Yeah, and well, the heat and the smoke kind of help. The smoke helps seal it. Uh, okay. But both methods of air dehydrate or of dehydration um, and of smoking essentially remove the moisture from food. So one of the one of the things that makes food go bad is that it's full of moisture mm-hmm. and that allows bacteria to grow. So if you can drain the moisture out of food, you can preserve it. You can make it last longer. And so dehydration is a method that's ancient. I mean. People right. dehydrated food before you could refrigerate food as a way to store and keep food for long periods of time. And if you do it right, some food can last for years dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Or even just a little bit longer is nice. A couple of months, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is nice. To, it's a great thing to do for normal people uh, to save on food costs. Like right. Even if you're not looking to necessarily build you know, a larder full of three years worth of food supplies, if you have some meat that you bought at the store that you were meaning to cook... But didn't quite get there, and you got to do something happen, to it. Things happen. Sure, life gets in the way, or it's going bad, or some fruit that's going to go bad pretty quick. Dehydrate it. Yeah. Boom. Now you've got food that'll last a couple of months. My fruit, when it goes bad, it's usually gone too bad. And then it turns <laughs> into bad. banana bread. You don't catch it in 90% time. Ninety percent of the time, it's banana bread. Oh yeah, the banana bread's another great way to get rid of to bad bananas. About but... half the time when I buy bananas, I think, yeah, if I save at least three of these up to rot, I can make some good banana bread. <laughs> sure. It also makes food lighter because you're taking the moisture out. You're taking a lot right. of weight out of it. So for storing food, if you have a lot of food, dehydrating food, even so, if your plan and is to store too. something like potatoes or whatever, potatoes are heavy as shit. Super. But heavy. dehydrated pe- potatoes, potato light. flakes, super light. So just storage, it takes up less room because they get smaller. Takes up less weight. So dehydrating food's very you know efficient in that regards. Yeah. Um, it's great for camping or backpacking or you know if you're traveling, it's good to carry because again, lighter. Yes. Yeah, you generally don't need to refrigerate it, which is nice. So it's good in emergencies. So you don't have to worry about it going bad. It's all natural. So if you do it yourself, you also know what's in it. That's um, true. This is a good thing. So like, we're gonna be making beef jerky. Spoiler alert. I one of my probably my favorite dehydrated. Food. Probably everyone's like <laughs> mo- first, uh, you know, and most common interaction with dehydrated food is beef jerky. Mm-hmm. But if you go to like the Quickie Mart and buy some beef jerky, I mean, dried banana chips are pretty popular. That's delicious. Too. True. Um. Or raisins, but I guess uh, yeah. either way, we're going to say beef jerky. Yeah. Uh, it's still better than both of those. But all of those things have preservatives and artificial stuff and stuff that you don't necessarily know what you're eating. Right. And it's probably not as good for you or as healthy as doing it yourself. Yeah. Um, just like most things, cooking at home is going to be healthier for and you. And it often tastes better. And it, yeah, it can often taste better. And you can make it super specific to your crazy Tastes-ish. likes. Yeah. yeah. It's also very cheap to do. We're going to do our beef jerky in our oven. And I'd imagine most of you, if you have a podcast listening device, you probably have access to an oven. Probably. Something you already have, so it's easy to do. You don't need special equipment. You can buy special equipment for it. If you get really into dehydrating... If you it becomes go... a passion project, you know, maybe it's worth it. But you can get a decent dehydrator for like 50 bucks on Amazon. 30 to $75 will get you pretty nice dehydrator. Yeah. You can spend a lot more for sure, but why would you want to? You can also build a solar dehydrator. Like it's a do-it-yourself kind of project. Oh. There's all sorts of cool things you can do. It's also become more popular nowadays like store-bought dehydrators because of the raw vegan diets that are out there oh man they are so crazy um because the food is not cooked but dehydrated it's raw so the food so a lot of raw vegan diets have uh what is the benefit of raw that is some crazy nonsense i'm just saying that it's that's one of the reasons become more popular in recent days (sighs) so if you're on a raw vegan diet you're probably probably listening to me and being like yeah already got that dehydrator because this is how i eat half my food Uh, but it also means there are a ton of delicious recipes and easy access like information about how to do this that's a golden time to be alive if you're dehydrating food so different dehydration methods corinne okay we already hit on a bunch of them the electric dehydrator is the easiest and most obvious uh they come 
on countertop sizes to things that fit in your backyard. Some of them can cost a huge amount, but there are many small budget-friendly dehydrators that you can get, uh, especially just to try it out. Like I said, in that $30 to $70 range, which most of people, if this is something you're really into, can probably swing. And they have different settings. They're pretty easy to use. And they take a few hours to do it. But they're great for beginners. Like, mm-hmm. they come with directions. They come with, you know, like probably a recipes. little... recipes. Probably. Uh, just like your, you know, Instapot or whatever. I was going to say, make can an you Instapot do it in an Instapot? If only. I wish. I don't <laughs> think so. But yeah, if you plan on dehydrating large amounts of food, you probably want to get something like that. Yeah. A solar dehydrator we mentioned before. These are readily available for purchase as well, just like the electric models. Or you can make them yourself. There are free plans on the internet or you can watch a YouTube video on how to make them. It's like a Boy Scout project to make a dehydrator. Mm. It's kind of like a solar oven, but it just doesn't cook very well. But they're super affordable. (laughs) I have found that most solar ovens don't cook very well. (laughs) Yeah. Air drying is another one that you can do. You can simply, some foods can simply just be air dried out in the sun. Yeah. Like, just lay them out on a counter, dry them. Places with low humidity, this works well or whatever. You can do this with herbs or greens and things like that oftentimes. Yeah, it's a good Uh, way if you buy fresh herbs for, like, a recipe and then you're like, okay, well, I don't need the rest of this rosemary or parsley or whatever. Yeah, you can dehydrate food over a campfire that's also kind of smoking it. So a lot of people Mm do, you know, smoked fish or whatever over a campfire. You know, just using free heat sources like that. Or oven drying, as we mentioned before. This is probably the best way to try it out because you don't have to buy anything you probably already have an oven Um, it's generally pretty simple especially if you're making a small batch of something Uh, you just need to turn the oven way low so you need one that can stay under 200 degrees yeah most ovens have a warm setting or have a low level at like 170 Um, that's what i just checked mine the lowest it gets is 170 which is perfect 170 175 is where you want it to be Uh, you need like a roasting pan And you generally want a sheet rack on top of that to let air kind of circulate Mm. around Mm -hmm. it. But yeah, generally speaking, you have all this equipment at home. So it's a really easy, low-cost investment to try. Try and see if you like it. Yeah. So some of the foods that you can dehydrate, Corinne. All right, let's hear them. You can dehydrate pretty much all vegetables. So some of the most popular ones, corn, garlic, greens, onions, peppers, tomatoes, zucchini and squash, herbs, basil. Uh, oregano mint all sorts of stuff potatoes as we mentioned before you can do we'll get to potatoes later they kind of group those in with beans and stuff Uh, fruit fruit is a really common dehydrated food you Mm -hmm. can buy dehydrated fruits all over the place they're very delicious Uh, you can make them yourself you can make fruit leather which is what they used to call fruit by the foot Uh, (laughs) no well fruit by the foot is not really fruit leather (laughs) but i mean it's a similar idea it's a dehydrated food or you can make dehydrated slices of fruit Mm -hmm. Uh, apples are great bananas peaches Pears, plums, berries, any number of things. Watermelon apparently can be dehydrated. I've never. Oranges. I'm sure you could. I don't know. I, I mean, oranges seem so watery, it'd be difficult yeah. to do. But but they said watermelon. Yeah. I guess, yeah, you put in the thin strips and make watermelon jerky. Interesting. Uh, grapes are obviously common. Many people just eat raisins. They don't even realize it's a dehydrated grape. <laughs> you forget about it, really. Yeah. Uh, mushrooms are commonly dehydrated for storage yeah uh so if you are a gourmand you can go catch your wild mushrooms and dehydrate them you're a gourmand don't here do not go pick wild mushrooms <laughs> unless you know what you're doing watch that episode of uh, bob's burgers and avoid it yeah you can dehydrate whole meals so what? this is well i mean like backpacking food is dehydrated yeah. so if you're smart meat obviously can be dehydrated Uh, As with most meats, it's best to cook it, but make sure it's bone dry when you go to store it. Potatoes can be uh, dehydrated. Potatoes are great from a prepper point of view because they pack a lot of calories and they're simple, easy to digest, and can, like I said, fortified. Refried beans or just regular beans can all be dehydrated. Uh, Rice can be dehydrated. 
Uh, that's another good one for backpackers and preppers because, again, bulk calories. It goes quick into meals, easy to rehydrate. Just add some hot water to it. Uh, spaghetti sauce can be dehydrated. Uh, you can spread it real thin layer and dried and then reheat, rehydrated with a box of pasta. Yeah, all sorts of crazy stuff. So there's a website called The Backpacking Chef, which has tons of information on dehydrating complete meals like that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, is that where we got this recipe? No, this recipe was from, I typed in best beef jerky recipe. <laughs> this is what came up and then I had to modify it, but yeah. we'll get to that. Yeah, so just tons of stuff. Eggs can be dehydrated. I was reading about eggs because I saw that and I thought, oh, that'd be another great food for preppers to dehydrate it because it's got the protein content and, and all that other stuff. You have chickens. We have chickens. It's a night. But some people were saying that it's difficult to do on your own. Oh, okay. Like, it, you can do it, but maybe it's not worth it. Like, if yeah. you're really worried about storing it you might want to do like just buy, buy the it. yeah um but apparently it can be done so maybe if you're more skilled than the people i was reading about on the internet you can dehydrate eggs man i really wish uh, grandma millie was uh able to come to the podcast yeah maybe she she'd was be an able. expert she'd probably be like oh yeah I've, I've dehydrated a million eggs in my lifetime bring over a jar of it yeah all right the next thing you need to know about is how to store dehydrated food so the first thing airtight tupperware uh, you do, if you have any extra Tupperware on hand, it will work for food storage so long as it's airtight. Uh, you can use glass or plastic. A lot of people like those glass ones with the seal lids. Mm-hmm. Canning jars are another excellent option. Uh, if you want to avoid plastic, they're also reusable, which is nice. Uh, you just want to sterilize them and then pick them up cheaply at yard sales and stuff. So another good option, just use canning jars because they can be airtight. Mm-hmm. Uh, freezer bags is the cheapest method. Yeah. Uh, you can generally make them pretty good and airtight, uh, especially if you're just getting started. You don't have to invest in anything. Just use your freezer bags. Vacuum sealer. A lot of people have those nowadays. So if you have one, vacuum bags are perfect for making airtight food. What about like if you've seen like people put a, a Ziploc bag that's like semi, semi-closed and then they put it in like a Lot, like a thing of water to kind of yeah the same air idea out. does that work or is that not good enough even? i mean i'm sure that works somehow okay like i feel like the bag itself unless it's a super sealed tight bag it's gonna let air in more. right but yeah that's basically a freezer bag it's just a fancier way of doing it yeah. but yeah basically you want to get rid of as much air as possible because it's another one of those dangers to food and then of course for other foods especially if you're just beginning it can always be a good idea to just keep it in the fridge while you have a fridge Mm -hmm. so like if you're making beef jerky especially if you're using a piece of meat that has a little bit of fat on it that might not have you know if you did it in the oven for the first time you might not have gotten it 100 percent dehydrated yeah just put it in the fridge it'll still last you know a month or two it might not last you know years or more but it'll stretch your food budget yeah so it's a good idea and as you get more confident maybe you can move them out of the fridge some foods that you don't want to dehydrate let's hear them uh fatty foods basically anything with a super high fat content or meats with lots of marbling are gonna take a long time to dehydrate um but yeah anything with fat in it or marbling is uh liable to go rancid so even when you do get your cuts so if you're gonna use meat try and cut out as much of the marbling as you can um, and then use lean cuts, yeah. Uh, so a lot of game food is really good for drying. That's why people do like deer jerky or elk jerky. Because turkey jerky. Turkey jerky, because those are very lean. Uh, they're not a lot of fat to begin with. If you're going to do beef jerky, make sure you use a piece of meat, as you mentioned. Uh, we used uh, skirt steak okay. uh, because it's a little more flavorful, but it, there is a lot more meat on that. People will use like a London broil or a top round or meat like that that does, doesn't have a ton of fat in it. Yeah, other things you don't want to do is butter. Okay. Again, because it's basically just fat. Um, it is said that dehydrated butter creates botulism. Oh, God. Uh, 
Let's not do that. But I'd imagine it also tastes really gross. Uh, you can get powdered butter somehow. So if you really need to dehydrate, but it's not dehydrated, I don't margarine know what it is. Margarine lasts like 10 years yeah. outside, doesn't it? Yes. Not that, that I'm saying margarine's a great option, but. So yeah, don't try and dehydrate butter. Again, some of these seem common sense when you start thinking about it, but like cheese. Yeah. Uh, don't dehy- try to dehydrate cheese. <laughs> Powdered cheese is a whole different thing. So again, if you're looking to save space and you still want cheesy texture or flavor to add to foods, powdered cheese, just, just buy that. Um, milk, yeah, it's another good one. It's right here. What's the point? Uh, dehydrating <laughs> milk removes the majority of fat and nutrition while increasing the chance for bacterial growth. And when you dehydrate fruits and vegetables, you do lose some of the nutritional value. You lose imagine. some of the vitamin A and C. Um, because, yeah, it's changing states from one to another. So it's definitely not as nutritious as a fresh ripe apple. Right. Sorry, but guys. we're looking for best, you know. It'll it'll help you survive. Yeah. Yeah. Nuts are difficult, again, because of the high fat content. So and they're oil also, in yeah, them, right? Oil. They go rancid pretty easy. Exactly. And then, again, olives and avocados for the same reason. So those are some of the common foods that you don't want to try and dehydrate. Not worth it. Uh, best food. Cabbage and lettuce are great to dehydrate. At what cost? Yeah. <laughs> Eating cabbage and lettuce. Citrus fruit fruit is okay, good. Okay, so oranges would be good. Yeah. Okay. Well, you get like, I love, I love like dehydrated apricots and like um, tangerines and stuff. Like, yeah. oh, mangoes are so good. Yeah, that's true. I oh. do love dried mangoes. Yeah. So, uh, but any fruits, vegetables, legumes of any kind are good to dehydrate. So yeah, that's kind of dehydrating in a nutshell. Can we do so, it? I'm excited. You got me ramped up. Um. So how do you actually dehydrate food? What we're going to do is we'll record a section for the podcast, and then we're actually going to record a video, so it'll be a little bit different. It won't be the same audio, but that's because we're not professionals at this. Uh, but <laughs> at <anything. laughs> we'll release the video on our website or on our uh, YouTube page, and then, yeah, it'll be really fun. Now, so, is this one that they, anybody can get, or is this going to be The first one's free, Patreon. All right, just to get you a taste. <laughs> first bite's free. And then, yeah, when we launch our Patreon account, we'll do something more with this. But anyways... Uh, yeah, so to dehydrate food. First, if you have a dehydrator, read the instructions. Know what you're doing. Don't start a house fire because you tried to dehydrate some beef jerky, guys. If you don't have one, just use your oven. Make sure, as we said, turn it on to very low and get it preheated. So get it up to 170, 175. Dehydrate only one family of foods at a time. So mm. if you're dehydrating tomatoes, you can also do hot peppers, but you don't want to do other foods. Like, don't mix and match your foods. Do what's one the, at a time. What's the reasoning behind that? Because uh, it'll start taking on the flavor and stuff of the oh, other foods. Yeah. Okay. Uh, fruits can be mixed together, but mixing them with a strong tasting and smelling vegetable is not recommended because, mm. yeah, just do one thing at a time. Strawberries and bananas would just make the other fruit taste better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you're cutting up your food, no matter what it is, always try and make sure it's the same thickness. Uh, they generally say the thinner, the less time it's going to take. So, so maybe think a good through. time if you have a... Um... Oh, God, what's that Mandolin thing you cut slicer? your hand on all the time? Mandolin, yeah. yeah. It's probably a good time to use that. Yeah, because that'll give you very even uh, slices of things. Heads up, pro tip. If you put your meat in the freezer for like 20 minutes before you slice it, it'll firm it up real good mm-hmm. so you can slice it real razor thin. Mm, okay. And then, of course, make sure your knife is nice and sharp. Oh, God. Never a problem segment. in this house. 20-minute segment on knives. Lord, save us all. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So those are the things you want to do. And then you want to check on the food. So it's going to take a few hours. Oh, so you've wow. got to have time. So some foods can take a long time, especially in a dehydrator. Those actually take a little longer than the oven because they are at a lower temperature. Okay. So like foods that go in the dehydrator might take like up to 10 hours to be done or more. Wild. Yeah. Slow cooker style. Very slow cooking. Because yeah, that's basically what you're doing. You're just slowly de- getting the moisture out of it without actually cooking the food. Yeah. 
If you're going to be drying hot peppers or onions, keep your dehydrator outside in a well-ventilated area and be prepared to scrub it uh, with soap and water afterwards. With peppers, the oils will become airborne in the first part of the dehydrating process and can be an eye irritant. So, Pepper spray yourself. Yeah, maybe for your first time out, don't try and dehydrate some habanero peppers. peppers. I bet you green peppers are safe. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Yeah, there are all sorts of resources to find resources for how long the food is needs to be dehydrated. Um, we found a couple of lists on the internet. They're all about the same, but find a, a reasonable resource. Uh, but yeah, foods can take a long time, hours-wise, to dehydrate. And then some foods require blanching um, beforehand, dehydrate or whatever. Mm. So anyways, it's a really simple task. There's, like I said, so many recipes on the internet for this stuff. Like just Google whatever you're trying to dehydrate and do it so we're going to start with beef jerky but we'll probably try and do apples or fruit and then storage so make sure when you dehydrate it make sure that you have a way to store it so you don't want to end up with a giant batch of beef jerky and then like leave it on the counter and it all goes bad yeah this doesn't work at all it's terrible or you can give it away as gifts it's a great uh if especially if it tastes good give it away yeah. If it tastes bad, maybe maybe don't maybe give it to throw your it out. Give it to your enemies. Maybe you killed somebody. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go dehydrate some food. And that's it for dehydration, Corinne. Uh, like it's it. a great tool to have in your prepper arsenal of, you know, ways to save food, ways to build up your food storage. Uh, so try it out, guys. It's fun and useful. Yeah. I'm All excited. Right. Let's do this. So thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast or if you want to see the video, we will post links to it on our Facebook when it's up. Uh, we will also have it on our Twitter, maybe. I don't know if Corinne's gotten into Instagram yet. No. Nope, definitely not. Still okay, not. check there. And, of course, you, you can like, subscribe, uh, send a comment on our podcast. We definitely would love some reviews. We'd love to hear from you guys via email at heatinguppodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you.